First Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Peter began this section that we're looking at this morning, starting in verse 7 with these words, the end of all things is near. Ever since Jesus Christ rose from the dead some 2,000 years ago, the culmination of history has been in view. Because time is short and there is an inevitable day of judgment that is coming, Peter instructs us to focus, as we looked at last week, on fervent prayer, loving one another, and unreserved hospitality, that is hospitality without complaint. And these three things, when practiced by individual Christians, will preserve the local church. For Peter's readers, who were members of these tiny local churches, swimming in a sea of hostility, they neglected any of these three things to their spiritual peril. But that was not all. Peter finishes his instructions for preserving the Christian community in our passage today, which is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Look with me at those as I read those, starting in verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. If the world outside of the church is trying to tear us down, then we have a responsibility from within to build up the church. And one way we do this, Peter tells us, is through using the gifts we've each been given to serve one another. And so, as we consider this passage, we will notice, first of all, why every Christian has a gift. And secondly, how every Christian is to use their gift. So, starting off, why every Christian has a gift. Why every Christian has a gift. This is what verse 10 plainly tells us. As each one has received a special gift. That is, each and every Christian has received a gift. Now, this doesn't mean you only have one gift. You probably have more. The point is, is that every Christian has been given something from the Lord to use in service to others. This word gift means something that's freely given by God. It's undeserved. God's gifts, they accompany salvation. Just as salvation itself is a free gift, unmerited, received only by faith. So the gifts of God, they are also given in such a way that they are unearned. This is why they are gifts. By definition, a gift costs you nothing. Not only do you not owe anything for your gift, you also do not choose your gift. God decides what gift or gifts he will give to you. And though you don't have any say in what gifts you receive, you do have a responsibility to use the gifts that you possess, those that you have been given. Before we can use our gifts, we need to know how to recognize them. You have a gift, but you may be completely unaware of it. If that's the case, you will not be able to employ what you don't know you have. Chances are you know what your gift or gifts are. If not, you probably have a good idea. Maybe you just don't see your gift or what it actually is. God has designed us in such a way that the gifts he bestows on us 
give us joy when we employ them. So this is a good indicator of whether something is a gift or not. If you think that you might be gifted in a particular area, but do not particularly enjoy exercising that gift, then there's a pretty good chance that thing is not your gift. So what are these gifts? Well, they are spiritual. They are from God. They are to be employed for spiritual purposes. This means they are to be used in service of God, which means in service of God's people, in service of one another. So I like to think about this with two questions in mind. First of all, what are examples of gifts in the New Testament? And secondly, what are some other possibilities of gifts not specifically found in the Bible? Are there gifts not specifically found in the Bible? Well, there are actually five lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There are two lists by Paul in 1 Corinthians. There are two more by Paul in Romans and Ephesians, respectively. And there's this short list we're looking at this morning here in 1 Peter. These lists, I'm not going to read through all of them, but they include everything from gifts of wisdom and knowledge to prophecy, speaking in tongues, healings, and miracles. On the less extravagant side, there are gifts of service and teaching and giving. The ability to pastor and shepherd is a gift as is the calling of an evangelist. Even in 1 Corinthians 7-7, Paul refers to marriage and celibacy as gifts, using the same word as he and Peter use for spiritual gifts. So if we take the wide variety of uses of the word gift in the Bible into consideration, it's logical to conclude that these lists in the New Testament are not exhaustive. In other words, just because something is not listed in Scripture does not mean it is not a spiritual gift. Peter uses broad categories. Paul, in his writing, writings uses more specific examples. But both Peter and Paul acknowledge that gifts are varied and they are according to God's design and God's decree. Think about it. Even two people with gifts of teaching will teach two different ways. Two different methods or approaches to teaching. Uh, two evangelists will approach evangelism differently. It's appropriate, therefore, that we do not limit spiritual gifts to those only listed in Scripture. Let me offer a definition from a commentator that also takes this same view. This is what he writes. A spiritual gift is any talent or ability which is empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used for the ministry of the church. Let me say that again. A spiritual gift is any talent or ability which is empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used for the ministry of the church. I hope you're thinking this morning. Here's the distinction. Here's that which separates an ability from an actual spiritual gift listed in the Bible. A talent or ability that you may already possess becomes a spiritual gift the moment of your conversion. So what happens at the moment of your conversion? Well, the moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ is the moment you receive the Holy Spirit. The talent or ability you had, you still have. If you could play guitar before, play piano before, you can still play guitar or piano when you become a Christian. We all agree on that. You still have that talent or ability. 
Only now it is energized. It is energized by the Holy Spirit. It is now under the influence and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. As one New Testament scholar writes, every gift that is ours by creation has been touched by the Spirit in recreation. In other words, what was yours before you were a Christian is now empowered by the Holy Spirit and placed in service to the Lord. And saying that, it does seem that there are certain gifts that are bestowed after a person becomes a Christian. These are gifts that you did not have before. At the very least, these gifts are only manifested after you place your faith in Jesus Christ. This would be something like the gift of healing or the affecting of miracles or prophecy. And these are typically thought of as supernatural gifts because as opposed to gifts of, say, helps or administration, they have an obvious supernatural expression. But either way, whether it's a supernatural gift or a natural ability, it is only empowered by the Holy Spirit after conversion. In this sense, every gift is supernatural because it has been recruited by the Lord. It has been put in service by the Lord. And even though we don't limit gifts only to the specific ones mentioned in the New Testament, I do believe you will find that whatever gifts you have received from God will always be related to the gifts mentioned in the New Testament. Imagine, if you will, maybe this will help you. Imagine the gifts listed in Scripture as branches on the tree. Got that picture? Branches on a tree. Different manifestations or different variations of these gifts are the leaves. So you have the leaves, which are the gifts listed in Scripture. Then you have the leaves, which are maybe different variations of those gifts, different expressions of those gifts. And everything grows from what? Everything grows from the trunk, which is God. The Holy Spirit, then, is the nutrients running through the trunk who supplies and empowers your particular gift. So with this in mind, think about your own talents or abilities. What do you do well? I know one or two things instantly pop into your mind when I ask that question. What were they? One time, a pastor friend of mine, he joked saying, that man, and we were talking about a certain person, that man has a spiritual gift of making money. It was a joke, but at the same time, it was not. Because the guy was good at making money, and he used a lot of that money for the Lord. We, we all know people that can effortlessly turn a profit. That's not me. But there are some who can do, now, do that. Now, if this is employed in the service of God's kingdom, then it makes sense that a certain person who has good business sense and becomes a Christian now uses this ability under the direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. After all, ministries and churches, they have to be funded. And big donors often keep ministries afloat and keep churches in the black. I would say someone who is able to turn a profit, do well in business, invest wisely, or in other ways successfully make money has a gift of giving or a gift related to giving. That's Romans 12, 8, the gift of, of gifts, of being able to give lavishly. Therefore, going back to my illustration, turning a profit is the leaf on the branch. If the branch is the, is the gift of giving, then being able to make money would be the leaf on that branch. Why is that? 
Well, because if we think about having the gift of being able to successfully turn a profit, God does not provide an abundance so that resources may be hoarded. He provides so that those who've been blessed materially may in part share with those who are in need. This is a spiritual gift of giving, manifesting an ability to earn a profit wherever you turn. So the gift can be employed for oneself or to feed one's greed. That is, the gift can be employed for evil or it can be employed in the service of God's people. And when the latter is the case, the Holy Spirit who lives in the Christian empowers the Christian. And this makes the gift spiritual. Are you with me? So what are your talents and abilities? Remember, I said earlier that your gifts will coincide with what you like to do. Those gifted in teaching like to teach. Those who have a gift of mercy get excited about opportunities to show mercy. Just tell them about a sick person, and they are headed to visit them with a covered dish that evening. Right? We know people like that. It brings givers extra joy when they get to give. A prophet must prophesy to be satisfied. One with a word of wisdom must share it to discharge his duty. So what do you like to do? Because I bet the place where your ability and your excitement meet is a spiritual gift. Once you've identified your gift or gifts, you are to do something with it. You are to employ it, verse 10, in serving one another. Though using your gifts does bring you joy, you're not called to use that gift for yourself, but for others, specifically, specifically for the church. And you will find that using your gift for others will bring you greater joy than using it just for yourself. You are given a gift in order to serve others. Now, this word serving in verse 10, it comes from the same root word where we get the word deacon. So if you remember back in Acts chapter 6, there were seven men chosen in the early church in order to make sure certain widows within the church were not being overlooked in the distribution of food. These men were basically chosen to serve tables. That's what the text tells us. But it was a job that was reserved for those, chapter 6, verse 3 of Acts, who were full of the spirit and wisdom. They were the first deacons. They were chosen to meet practical needs, practical needs in the church, while the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and ministry of the word. Why am I saying this? Because it helps us to understand how we are to use our gifts. We are to serve one another in the most practical of ways. Spiritual gifts, they build up the church. The ability to encourage someone is a spiritual gift. The ability to lead well is a spiritual gift. There's a spiritual gift of helps that I've mentioned. What do you think this means? If you guessed it means a heightened ability and desire to help others, you're right. Very often in the church, think about it, we are called to serve one another in the most practical ways. If someone is down, the one with the gift of encouragement speaks a word that lifts their spirits. If there's confusion somewhere, the one with the leadership gift steps up with a plan to bring clarity and move people forward. He's someone people want to follow, or she's someone people want to follow. Think about it like this. A lady notices people in the community who never quite have enough to eat. Others in the church that notice the same thing, but she's actually burdened in her spirit about it. She's so burdened that she decides to do something about it. This is a gift of mercy. However, though she has the ability to love people in the most practical ways, even willing to sit up with people all night if they're suffering, 
She is hopeless when it comes to organization. Another lady noticing her inability to figure out how to get these hungry people what they need begins to solicit donations for a food pantry, organizes a closet in the church to store the food, and figures out a system to get the food where it needs to be when it needs to be there. This is a gift of administration at work. Together, the two have a powerful ministry, but they need each other to make it happen. A shut-in, somebody who has to stay at home because of their circumstances, might have a gift of faith, feel especially drawn to praying for her congregation that she doesn't get to see very often. But she is praying for them every Sunday when they meet for worship. This is a gift of intercession. It's not listed in the Bible as a spiritual gift, but it does coincide with other gifts complementing them. So a desire to intercede extensively for others in prayer is probably most related to the gift of faith. And that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. A leaf, not a branch. I know a guy who's really adept at finances. He loves to help people set personal budgets. He loves to help people get out of debt. How do you think he serves the church? He's the treasurer. And he's on multiple boards where he's also the treasurer. Do you love to write? Are you good at it? And the Holy Spirit probably wants to use your writing as a ministry to the church and as a form of outreach to bring others into the church. I'm just giving you examples here to start thinking on. If you have a gift, then according to verse 10, you're called to be a good steward of that gift. Since you are a Christian, you do have a gift. Therefore, you are called to be a good steward of that gift. Now, steward is not a word we use much. Maybe our closest way of understanding the concept of a steward is to think of someone who manages a farm or manages property for somebody else. The steward doesn't own the property, but he cares for it as if it were his own. He has a responsibility. You have a responsibility to steward your gift well. Why? Well, because it doesn't belong to you. You're exercising your gift on behalf of another. In this case, on behalf of God. A steward in Scripture is a servant who has administrative responsibilities for household affairs. If we turn to the Old Testament account of Joseph, we find that he was a steward in the house of Potiphar, the man that he was sold to as a slave by his brothers. We read in Genesis 39.4, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and became his personal servant or steward. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in Joseph's charge. So a steward has two overarching responsibilities. First, he is accountable to his master. And secondly, he is in charge of his master's affairs. Joseph tended to Potiphar's affairs in order to give an account of faithfulness to Potiphar. Of course, in order for Joseph to remain faithful to Potiphar, not to mention to God, he refused the advances of Potiphar's wife. It's because Joseph was a faithful steward that he would not do what Potiphar's wife proposed, namely to lie with her. And his refusal meant that Joseph was accused of attempted rape. He lost his position as a steward. He lost his relationship with Potiphar and he lost his freedom. But he was a good steward because he employed his talents and abilities to serve another. First and foremost, we are to serve those in the church with our gifts. 
It says in the text, 1 Peter 4.10, employ it in serving one another. In doing so, we express God's grace in a multitude of ways within the church. This is why Peter writes in verse 10 also that we are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, Peter is not so concerned here with the specific gifts that are being used, but he is stressing the importance of Christians using their spiritual gifts to minister to one another in the midst of their trials and suffering. Maybe that's supposed to especially when we need each other's gifts, when times are hard. Now, there are all sorts of different ways that we can each uniquely use our gifts. But every time we do so, in order to build up the church, we are putting God's grace on display. We are pointing to what God has done. We are acknowledging that we've each been given a gift, and we've each been given a responsibility to use it. We're also acknowledging that these gifts come from God. If he did not give them, we could not use them. If God did not empower them, they would be of no effect. But when used as from God in order to serve God's people, gifts showcase the favor and the acceptance of God. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So what's Paul saying? There's one source, but many different and varied ways the grace of God will be displayed. Paul and Peter, they're saying the same thing. Each Christian has a gift from the Holy Spirit, different gifts, one source. Since every gift comes from the same source, they are used for a common goal, the ministry and maintenance of the church. This means whatever your gifts are, God has not given them to you for you to hoard them. The Lord expects us to use our gifts to serve one another, and he will guide us and empower us to do so. But he expects you, he expects me to be proactive. You do not decide which gifts you are given, but you are responsible to determine what gifts you possess. As I said, you probably already have an idea. And guess what? The Holy Spirit wants you to know. The Holy Spirit wants you to know the gifts that he's given you. Ask him. I bet he'll show you. Once you're reasonably sure you know your gifting, you're even more responsible to use it. You're a steward. You will give an account to your master. If you refuse to employ your gift in service, then you're shirking your duty and even denying God's goodness and purpose in giving it to you. But when we do employ our gifts together, we will each be encouraged. We will each be built up. We will find that the church is a place of refreshment, full of light and peace and joy. Doesn't that sound nice? Y'all remember Bob Ross? Of course you do. You know, when he would make that first stroke and all you saw was a, a squiggly, dark green line, you thought, no way that's going to be anything. That's what I thought. But then he made another stroke and another stroke. And he changed colors and he did it again and he talked you through it. And it wasn't long before that squiggly line was definitely a pine tree. And the other blob became a mountain. And a few moments later, the scene was this breathtaking landscape under a cloudy blue sky. Right? Spiritual gifts are like this. You might think that your gift is not that impressive or needful. It's just a squiggly line. But if your gift remains inactive, 
The pine tree doesn't have any leaves. The sky doesn't have any clouds. The lake doesn't have any luster. The picture is off. Something is wrong. Something's missing. The painting needs your contribution. It's like Bob Ross missed a stroke. Without your gift, the church is incomplete. The church needs you. We need you. And this is why every Christian has a gift. Next, we consider how every Christian is to use their gift. How every Christian is to use their gift. So I've pointed out the importance of using your gift, but I want to consider more closely how to do so. Peter gives us two broad categories in verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. The two categories in which gifts find expression is through speaking and serving. This means a gift is going to be employed either through a ministry of speech or a ministry of service. Two broad categories. So examples of speaking gifts would be prophecy, teaching, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, evangelism, encouragement, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. This can include everything from someone preaching from a pulpit, leading a Bible study, to speaking into the moment, to simply offering someone a needed word of exhortation. I would also probably include in speaking gifts, singing, even sharing a testimony of what God has done. In whatever way you speak using your gift, you should do so, the text tells us, verse 11, as speaking the utterances of God. What does this mean? Well, the word utterances is found in numerous places in the Old Testament. That's where Peter got it. Sometimes it's translated oracles. In those places, it is typically used to mean God's word to man. But we need to be careful in defining what it means in this New Testament, 1 Peter context. Peter cannot mean that when you speak using your gift, you're speaking God's own words. The only place that, that we can claim these are the very words of God are these words right here, these words found in Scripture. However, when we speak, we should do so with seriousness as if we are speaking God's word. That is, if you are employing your speaking gifts among other Christians for the purpose of ministering and maintaining the church, every word that comes out of your mouth should be spoken as if it was the very word of God. God takes our word seriously, and so should we. In this way, we will carefully watch our words. We're not going to say anything displeasing to the Lord, or we're not going to use words that are prone to tear others down. These gifts of God, they're sacred. We need to handle them with care. We need to handle them with reverence. You've been entrusted with a gift in order to point one another to the greatness and the excellency of God. And so we must speak in such a way that our speech is in line with what God would say. Remember, everything the Holy Spirit leads us to say, to say will be in line with Scripture, with what is already revealed as truth. There's no new revelation. We're speaking in line with what the Spirit's already revealed in the Word of God. We should speak in the same manner that we would read and teach the very words of God. Secondly, our service gifts. Speaking gifts and now service gifts. Examples of these would be 
any type of helping ministry, mercy, administration, or leadership gifts. A service gift would also be something like the ability to cook well. Using that skill to prepare meals for homebound or sick church members, as well as for those outside of the church. One way a spiritual gift builds up the church is through impacting those outside of the church. Because what does outreach do? Lord willing, it results in people becoming Christians and coming into the church. But even if the person you serve does not make a profession of faith, you still minister love, care, and concern to those who need it. And you do so through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We who exercise service gifts are to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So how do you know? Verse 11, how do you know whether you're employing your gift in God's strength or not? Well, for one, exercising God-given gifts will not spiritually drain you. So this is not to say you will not get tired serving others. You will at times be physically and emotionally exhausted. But when you're working out of God's strength, the serving is actually life-giving. It recharges your spirit. You feel the pleasure of God. You feel the joy of obedience. You feel the satisfaction of service. If you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire about uh, Eric Little, the Scottish runner, he said when he runs, he feels the pleasure of God. I would say that his running was a spiritual gift. God certainly has used it in many ways, in many people's lives. When he ran, when he used his ability that God had given him, he felt the pleasure of God. So when you're serving out of God's strength, you might be exhausted, but your heart is full of praise for the opportunity that God has given to you. Another way that you serve by the strength of God is by serving one another out of right motives. It's easy to serve so that others will notice us because we naturally enjoy the applause and the commendation of men. We, we just do. And if you're serving to be noticed, then you will receive your reward in full. That's what Jesus says. Your reward is the applause that you receive in that moment. I hope you enjoy it. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for the misplaced motives that they put on display by their service to others. Matthew 23, 27 to 28, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, putting on a display of service for wrong motives. For serving to appear righteous before others, then we are serving out of our own strength. Why? Well, because on the one hand, the Lord does not bless such service with his life-giving strength. Because this is the case, it's exhausting. It's spiritually draining. On the other hand, service with wrong motives brings glory to the doer and not to the one who supplied the doer with the gift in the first place. Serving to be noticed by men serves the exact opposite purpose of why God gives the gift, which is to bring glory and honor and recognition to him. Not to you and not to me. So how do we serve in the strength of God? Well, as with everything in the Christian life, we do so 
in faith. And maybe that sounds like a pat answer. If it does, it's because that is always the answer. As Paul writes in Romans 1.17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Some translations say from first to last. We are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Our service is only acceptable to God when it's performed through faith in Jesus Christ. This is how the Lord always declares something right in his eyes. Is it done in faith? Paul says something similar in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. He writes, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. So the Lord is the one who's going to ultimately reward you. He's going to reward you for what you've done in faith. Anything done with faith in Jesus, anything done with faith in Jesus, will remain and will be rewarded. Anything done with faith in yourself, done with your own resources, in your own strength, will be lost. When you serve another by faith from the heart, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's serving with a view toward the Lord for which God supplies strength. Speaking and serving, those two categories, they cover everything we will do in ministering to one another. This is why if we are individually employing our gifts by speaking with the seriousness of God's word and serving with the strength that God gives, then verse 11, the second part, in all things, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. In all things we undertake together as a church, God will be recognized. His name will be exalted. And it will point us and others toward Jesus. And that's really a test of whether or not a gift is spiritual and whether or not it's being used correctly. Spiritual gifts always point to Jesus. Spiritual gifts are given to the church and for the church. The church is the body of Christ. And this is more than a phrase. Maybe it's an overused phrase or a phrase that has become too common. But, but Paul actually uses the human body as a picture of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A body, a human body is healthy when every part is healthy. If you were doing perfectly well otherwise, but your foot is infected and in possible need of amputation, you are not healthy. Your foot is useless and it's dragging the rest of your body down. When Christians neglect their gifts or refuse to use them, they are essentially the infected body part. They're keeping the head, Jesus Christ, from expressing his life through the whole body. We want God to be honored and noticed in all things through every member of the church. You say, possibly, but, but my gift is insignificant. No one's going to notice if I don't use it. That's a lie. 1 Corinthians 12.22 states, It is much truer the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. There's no insignificant gifts. And if you deem your gifts useless, you are denying, according to the Lord, how necessary you are. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12.11. But one and the same Spirit work all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Whatever gifts you have, 
you have because the Holy Spirit gave them to you. It's not a mistake. It was very intentional. You were designed by God to take your unique place in the church. Only you can play the role that God intends for you to play. And if you refuse that role, we all suffer. If one of my eyes refuses to see, my whole body suffers from the lack of depth perception. The Spirit wills that you not only have a gift, but that you actually use it. Since I know myself better than anyone, I thought it would be good to use some personal examples. And after all, I have a better idea of my own gifts than I do of any of yours, I hope. The thing about spiritual gifts is that we cannot boast about them. Maybe if I earned my gift or purchased my gift or deserved my gift, I could boast. But since a gift, by definition, is only received, I, like you, can only recognize it. My responsibility is then to develop it. I love to teach. I enjoy walking alongside Christians as a shepherd. And since I operate in the capacity of a pastor, I'm able to develop these gifts and use them to build up the church and hopefully glorify God. The Lord's given me a desire to trust him in, in unique ways, both with financial provision, as one who served as a missionary overseas for many years, and as one confronted with situations that others would not care to wander into. I take this as a gift of faith. It's not my own doing, except for what I've been given. I don't make any boast in, in having the ability to muster any more faith than any other Christian, but whatever faith that I've been able to exercise in certain situations that others might not have exercised is only by the grace of God. It's a gift. I enjoy organizing events and putting together programs and curriculum. I'm able to use this gift here at the Life Center and in other ministry-related capacities. It's a, probably a gift of administration. And so these are just an example of some gifts I've recognized over the years that are listed in Scripture. What about, what about the leaves on the branches, those leaves in my own life? That is, those talents or abilities that are not listed in Scripture. But the Holy Spirit has empowered to be used in service to God's people. Well, I started playing guitar when I was 12 years old. And that was not with any intention to use that skill in service to the Lord. But since I was 16, when I became a Christian, the Lord has placed me in roles over and over again where I'm able to lead others in worship. By nature, I'm more of a listener than a talker. The Lord has allowed me to be a listener to people who need an ear. And through the strengthening of the Spirit, to have the patience to listen to people who I otherwise, in my flesh, might find frustrating. So this ability to listen and sympathize with difficult individuals is a gift. It certainly does not find its source in me. And finally, and maybe this will help some of you in tracing the hand of the Lord in your own life. As a child, my, my longest career aspiration was to be a doctor. By the time I was in high school, this desire had faded into the background, but it was never completely gone. The Lord obviously led me in a different direction altogether. But for many years in Nigeria, I was able to be a doctor. I didn't have the degree. I didn't have the title. 
But I was, by the grace of God, able to help a lot of people physically. And that was at our medical clinic. And I see this, in a sense, as a gift that manifested in, in a childhood desire and was brought into operation in a very unexpected way. And so, I ask you again, what are your gifts? Start by considering what you're good at. And then think about whether that thing that you're good at brings you joy. Chances are, that is a spiritual gift that God expects you to employ. It is never too late to start doing so. It's interesting as we wrap up here, how Peter ends this section. Scholars call this a doxology. Maybe you've heard that as we've sung doxologies before. It reads, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Basically, like other places, we find something similar in the New Testament. Peter pauses in his writing to reflect on God. In fact, if you read leading up to this, he reflects on God and Jesus Christ together. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever? Is it God the Father or is it Jesus Christ? Yes, both. In fact, this is Peter's way of saying that Jesus and God are one. A doxology is a momentary exclamation of praise. We are, we are to stop and ponder in worship how in everything God will be glorified through the Lord Jesus Christ. This glory and the power that accompanies it is clearly seen in the church. It's seen in the church when we speak and serve according to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do you want Jesus Christ to receive all the honor and praise and worship and recognition that he is due? Then let us together exercise the gifts that he has given to us. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you could not. Jesus Christ died the death that you should have died to take the punishment that you deserve. Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead to secure eternal life for all who place their trust in him. Jesus Christ ascended to heaven in order to send his Holy Spirit to live inside of you and through the Holy Spirit to empower you and me to serve one another. Let us therefore not ignore, waste, or neglect his precious gifts. Let us find joy in using them for the one to whom belongs all glory and dominion now and forever. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given each of us, your word says each of us, a gift, probably a number of gifts. Help us, Lord, to discover those, help us to employ those, help us to be faithful with those. And through that, Lord, we pray that you would build up your church. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.